the grape turns itself into wine, it can release a powerful surge of energy, a power that can make things happen. You'd be excited, am I right? I think so, yes, I would. So science is changing. And the very people who are running science are the people who believe the world was flat. And I'm going to prove them wrong, just as Newton did. We are. Thank you. Welcome to Book Club, everyone. So this month we've done Radioactive, Marie and Pierre Curie, A Tale of Love and Fallout, which was written and illustrated by Lauren Redness. It's sort of a pseudo-graphic novel, more of a collage. It was published in 2010, and it was a National Book Award finalist for nonfiction. She has also published Century Girl, 100 Years in the Life of Doris Eden Travis, and Thunder and Lightning, Weather Past, Present, and Future. The official summary of Radioactive is that it is a visual journey into the life of Marie Curie as told through the dazzling collage style of acclaimed author and artist Lauren Redness. A brilliant visual storyteller, Redness has hand designed more than 100 color collages to tell Curie's story, fascinating in its scientific significance and its sometimes whimsical, sometimes haunting mix of romance intrigue, bringing together archival photos, images, and clippings which dazzling line drawings, and a compelling narrative. Radioactive is far more than just an art book or a graphic novel. It is a stunning visual biography and a true, true work of art. Very high praise. Yeah, glowing. So we'll sort of talk, Laura, the format. We'll, I'll tell you sort of backstory about the film and information about that. And then we'll go through the book sort of set up and interject as you wish. And then we'll go through the film setup and kind of compare as we're going through the film, how it differentiates from the book. The film came out on the 15th of June of this year, which was like a week before the cinemas were shut. So <laughs> I don't think a lot of people saw it. And then it very swiftly went on to Amazon. And it was directed by Marjan Satrapi, who is the acclaimed author of Persepolis. I don't know if anyone else in the group has read that. Nodding, good. People can't hear you when you're nodding. <laughs> <laughs> and she directed films, The Voices, Gang of Jotas, Chicken with Plums, which is another graphic novel she wrote, and Persepolis. The screenplay was written by Jack Thorne, who is quickly becoming, to me, the most hired mediocre writer. He <laughs> adapted Enola <laughs> yep. uh, Holmes in the Secret Garden, which haven't come out yet, but also the bunch of TV shows like The Fades, The Eddie, His Dark Materials, The Accident, The Aeronauts, which was another film that came out last year. It was produced by Studio Canal, Working Title Films, Amazon, Hue Brothers, Pioneer, Stilking Films, and Shoebox Films. The film stars Rosamund Pike, plays Marie Curie, which Laura and I saw, she was in a private war, which was about a journalist two years ago, last year. Sam Riley, who plays Pierre Curie. Yvette Fur, who plays Carla, is the name on IMDb, who's her sister, which I'm just gonna lay it down now that she doesn't have a sister, uh, Marie Curie, named Carla. She has like three sisters, but none of them are named that. <laughs> There's Honor and Barnard, who plays Paul Levin, Anya Taylor-Joy, who is of significance. She plays Ihran at age 18, and Simon Russell Beale, who plays Professor Lipman. And those are sort of the characters you really see the most in the film. The book, it starts out, it's kind of like a parallel of the two, of Pierre and 
Maria at this point because she hasn't changed her name. Stories. Pierre was born in 1859 in Paris. Paris. Maria was born in 1867 in Warsaw, Poland. Pierre's father was a scientist and at 14 he starts studying the mathematical theory of determinants into the third dimension. You know, you don't really have anything else to do at the age of 14. So. <laughs> And then at 16, he gets his university degree and at 21 publishes a paper on heat waves. And at the age of 35, is still living at home and had a sort of young love that had passed away quite sadly. Then Maria, who was born into a family of five, she, now this bit, I was like, I want more on this. At 16, she joins the Flying University, which is a covert university for women uh, under the Russian rule, I suppose, at the time. But she worked as a governess in a, a family to save money to be able to go to the Sorbonne to study. And she falls in love with the son of the family, but then they reject her. So then she leaves at 18 uh, to go to Paris. Then at 24, she enrolls at the Sorbonne. She's one of 23 women. She registers herself as Marie and gets a degree in maths and physics. Then she goes on to study the magnetic properties of steel. While at the same time, in, well, similar time, Pierre writes a doctoral thesis on magnetic properties of heat. And very importantly, they meet by the way of Josef Kowalski because Pierre is the head of the School of Industrial Physics and Chemistry and Marie is working in Lippmann's lab and it's sort of quite cramped. So the friends suggest she go work at Pierre's lab so she has more space. And he's studying crystals and during the period before they meet, he's invented piezoelectricity, the Curie scale, and the Curie point. Then while working together, they sort of begin their affair, and he proposes to her essentially, even though at the time she wanted to go back to Poland. Two years later, her daughter is born, Irene, and through Wilhelm Reutgen, who accidentally discovers the X-ray, then another scientist, Henry Beckel, starts studying that phenomenon and the Marie Curie decides to pick up on sort of what he's been working on. And she starts studying those findings and coins the term radioactivity. Also not mentioned in the book or the film, Becquerel also shares the Nobel Prize that they want together. Then, so at this point, she discovers the elements polonium and radium and over four and a half years, you're in 1902 at this point. She's able to extract one-tenth gram of radium. They choose not to patent the findings together, and this leads to a surge of radium sort of lace products. And this is at the point which we see in the film is Loic Fuller, who's a dancer who uses radium and light in her, her dances, which she worked with Thomas Edison to create those. Then Pierre starts testing the physical effects of radium and this is sort of when the idea of using radium as cancer treatment comes about. Then in 1903 she receives her doctorate which she's the first woman in France in history to receive a doctorate and then they win the Nobel Prize and both her and her husband decide not to go because he's quite sick and she is quite she's just not very well and Again, very easily to look up on Wikipedia is that initially it was only Pierre and Henri Becquerel who were going to get the Nobel Prize, but it was because of committee members and advocates for women scientists 
Magnus Mittag Leffler, who was the one who made sure that Marie was included, <laughs> which I don't think is mentioned in the book. Then their daughter Eve is born, though she suffers a miscarriage before that and isn't very well. And in 1906, Pierre gets run over by a horse-drawn carriage. She then takes over her husband's chair at the Sorbonne and is the first woman to ever hold a chair there. Then I'm not going to really talk about the flashbacks, flashes into the future necessarily in the comic, but throughout the comic it flashes to sort of the threads of history from what they've done. She then takes on the lover of Paul Lavin, who is married at the time, and his wife steals some of their love letters and publishes them in a newspaper. And she wins her second Nobel Prize in chemistry, which she's the first person to ever win two. And she was, people were telling her not to go because of all the drama with her affair. And Einstein writes her a letter saying, you know, screw them, you should go, they're idiots. You know, no one really cares once she's there. You know, all the royals are sleeping with lots of other people anyway. And her relationship ends and her health really starts to take a turn. Go on to World War, the start of World War One, and her daughter, Irene, and her start outfitting mobile x-rays. She visits America and sort of gets lots of accolades. And then her daughter marries one of her lab assistants. And they, the couple, eventually go on to win a Nobel Prize. Then she dies in 1934 at 66. Her grandchildren, Pierre, her grandchild Pierre is a biophysicist. And her daughter, Hélène, granddaughter, Hélène, is a nuclear physicist who marries the grandson of her lover, Michel Levin. <laughs> and that's the end of the book. What did you guys think of it sort of as a whole? Uh, I think I've got a lot to say. Right? Yeah, well, let's start with the book, just on its own. Did you guys yeah. read the book first before you watched the film? I did. So I really enjoyed the book. It made me cry twice. Like oh. I got teary eyed. And I am a big, the, the reason I was so excited about this film was that I, already before the book and before the thing, I, I've, I've always kind of thought Mary Cure was an amazing character. And so I saw that the film was out and then you told me it was a book. So I thought I'm going to get the book and read it. And just the, the two parts that made me cry was one was when Pierre died and she got the chair of the, um, at the university. I thought that was so well done. And then um, the bit uh, where she wants to melt her Nobel prizes. Yeah. Always, whenever I think of that, I'm like, oh my God, she's amazing. And I think that the book really, I don't know, I felt it like it was, I love the little pictures and all the stuff. And I really liked how it intertwined with the, um, like the, what radioactivity contributed in the future. Like, the, what did you say, the threads of time? Yeah. But I don't like the artwork. Yeah. And it's funny because visually, I'm, I don't want to go into the film just yet, but I have the exact opposite feeling on the film. So this was like, I really enjoyed the content and the way it's laid out and everything about it, except I, don't, I think by the end of it, I liked it. But when I was reading it to begin with, I just don't know, it didn't connect. I think it's too abstract for me. Yeah. Not to say I didn't like it. I, I think it's beautifully done. I just, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you know what I'm talking about? How did you feel? I kind of, well, I don't read a lot of graphic novels. So for me, I kind of just read it like a book. And I don't yeah. think I lost anything by not 
not not looking at the artwork because obviously it's on the page but for me my I, I always hone in on the words I don't necessarily look at the wide picture as I'm going and I kind of yeah I didn't until the end I did, it kind of didn't register that actually or maybe I should have been looking at the pictures um but I really enjoyed the story I thought it was really well done there's a lot of concepts in there that I would usually think oh god I don't understand this and actually I understood it enough that it the story still worked so I thought that was really well done yeah I liked it I, enjoy, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to I would say Good, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of agree. At the start, I, I kind of hated the art a little bit at the start. <laughs> Say that, but I agree, yeah. It like, it's kind of like, it's, uh, I hate to use the word, it's like ugly and abstract. Um, but by the end, I kind of really liked it, weirdly. The, the more of it I saw, the more it really kind of grew on me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it was the the colour palette more than the art won me over. I agree. Yeah, I really agree. I think um, it's, just, it's hard because it's so text heavy and that story. I mean, yeah, it's just, she's not a great, she can't draw. Well, I mean, she draws, but she's not like a great artist. I could probably have a go at something like that. Yeah. I, I'm not an artist at It's all. very, very stylized. That's the thing yeah. that I think gets me. It's very, very stylized. And is it on purpose or that it's just the extent of her drawing ability? It's kind of what... The big head here freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> just... And a very, like, almost like bobble heads, like oversized. And it's this kind of colour palette that got me. Like yeah. the yellow, stark yellow, orange and blue. It is a bit head... Dakey. I hate saying this. I hate being mean about the drawing because, or I hate being negative about it because I think the book itself is very, very well done. And I like all of the interjects of all the photos and scientific whatevers. And I just think it's really well written as well. Yeah. Now I like the, I like the fact that they bounce back and forth and like interview people today or look at people throughout history and sort of the ripple effect of what they've done yeah. the good and bad obviously it all seems really considered mm -hmm. which i like about the book like it feels quite cohesive despite the artwork being kind of disparate and the styles kind of changing and morphing over time it all feels very considered like at the back when they talk about how the font was chosen how the kind of words yeah. fit to the artwork i do have to say that i found not necessarily just the font, but I think the juxtaposition of the font and the colours very difficult to read. Same. Like, yeah. I, don't, I, I have pretty good eyesight, I don't need glasses. My, like, I found it really squinty and a bit like difficult to consume in that way. My biggest problem was when the font ran a whole page, because it's like an A4 thing, mm. like, and there's no lines. I found I was losing yeah. my place a bit. Yeah. When it was toned up or kind of broken down to fit the confines yeah. of the image. Yeah. Even from like a physical standpoint, I found it quite hard to hold a book this size and read it. I know it sounds yeah. silly, but like I'm not, again, I don't read many graphic novels, maybe a lot of them are like this, but. They do, they do a few really lovely things that stood out for me though, in terms of the art. When, when she, when they quote her as uh, coining the phrase radioactivity, it's one line on a double page splash, which is the Hiroshima bomb going off, is the mm -hmm. whole image. Yeah. And like that juxtaposition of, her wonder of discovering and naming this thing against yeah. the backdrop of one of its worst yeah. uses, yeah, is very good. Is incredible. And there's a bit where she I forget who she's describing. I think it's I think she's describing Pierre 
and what the left hand side is like a very kind of yeah so it's like a very crude illustration of him and then the text on the other side mirrors his illustration which i think is like quite yeah, i think he's an artist you know huh? yeah i would respect her as an artist and her storytelling ability like you know the when I think the point about the text being a little bit hard to read, it really showed when they were talking about some of the more difficult scientific things and they were trying to explain it. And the text made it hard to really kind of get that information and read it, I think, because it was really heavy what mm. they were trying to explain to you. I guess as well, in a technical kind of thing, it's not, it's, I always wonder about how it was done. So how did she do things that, that looked to me almost like etch a sketch and I wouldn't know etch a sketch what am I talking about that, like that lino printing where you carve into it and then you oh print. like Hogarth stuff yeah 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 it, it looks a bit like an x-ray I thought that was the vibe they were going for yeah this, yeah do you know what I mean that, that's mm -hmm. what I thought the aim was I didn't think that until you said it but now that does make yeah. sense yeah yeah I think yeah that's really cool because isn't there a bit at the back where they talk about the process yeah, so the thing where it's like drawing transparency, then there's a print and then it's hand-coloured print over the top. Uh, but I, Dino-type printing. Is yeah, yeah. It. Yes. So maybe I did read that. <laughs> um, but I also think that the text, if it's been put on at a later date digitally, um, they could have used maybe a little bit... There are places where the text are... I would have thought you could place it better. Yeah. You know, things like... I think at the very beginning... They have it all jammed in the side. Yeah. You could have just made that man a bit smaller. Yeah. <laughs> done the text. I mean, look, look at the amount of text you're supposed to, you're like zigzagging it, it, trying to read this. Yeah. But, it reminds me of Joe Sacco. His text is just too much all over the place to really be able to get the information. Mm. But I liked it. I loved it. And I'm going to give it to my mum to read. I told her all about it. <laughs> And I think she, because my mum has been doing her own graphic novel and sometimes she thinks that there's a way to do things. Nine panel grid, you know? <laughs> um, and I think this would blow her mind kind of structure-wise. Yeah. It is. Like, I have a lot of respect to it in just being able to tell the story of Marie and her relationship with Pierre Curie in... You know, just in an interesting way, and I think the visual, even though I don't think it's great, it does support the information you're receiving, and sort of like it lets you pace yourself, and you're not just reading something that's really text-heavy, and your mind might wander, and you can kind of really focus on that bit of information. And she really, and she, you know, she stops you when she wants something is really poignant, so you can focus on understanding what's happening at that point. I, I think that's, that's how it is. I liked it. Like, I think mm. overall yeah. consensus is positive. Yeah. The thing about it that, from a, this is wanky, from a craft <laughs> point, from a craft point of view, like Lara said, like a nine panel grid, I can understand, like how you script that, how you translate that to an artist to turn into a comic panel. But like, I, I couldn't fathom how you'd go around putting something like this together. Like, how will you decide what text you're using? Are you scripting that? What images are you using? Are you drawing those ahead of time and then piecing them together? Because you think that's because it's all one person. It's not. It's not like an artist a letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. She's doing it all. So she... I mean, what what do the thumbnails look like? 
how do you thumbnail? <laughs> like, I'm going to have a massive head here, and I'm going to have, uh, like, a weird man here. Yeah. What if you wrote it out first and then started drawing the work oh, yeah. as she was separating the text? Uh, yeah, I'm interested to know her process. On Yeah, the, the fact that it works so well as a piece, yeah. like, I couldn't even imagine putting a project together like yeah. that. It blows my mind. Yeah, I think, well, I think it was very successful as a book. I remember when it came out, people really liked it. Thumbs up. In the dark, which, I mean... And it glows in the dark. I don't know if you guys noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I had it at my bedside table and I was like... Yeah, oh. me too. <laughs> so, bonus. So, now, okay, the film, In please interject as I'm talking about the scenes and we can go over differences. So the film starts off in 1934 in Paris and you have a elderly Marie and she's collapsed in her lab. And then she is being wheeled on a gurney into the hospital and she's having flashbacks of when uh, she- We pause here momentarily. This is the worst narrative framing device for a biopic ever. How awfully cliche can you be? I think that's, that's the underlying asterisk of the entire film. <laughs> like, Cliche biopic. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on, Nora. <laughs> so the rest of my sentence was she's having flashbacks about meeting Pierre in the street, which is not what happened. This is my whole issue, and we've gone over this issue before with historical, you know, films that are based on history, based on fact. You can go on Wikipedia and it's very easy to see what happened, and they're kind of they're pretty like standard plot points in history. You gotta you gotta hit those beats. So in the film if you want to change it, like, make it more interesting, yeah. I can live with that. But if you're changing it to him bumping into her in the street... Oh, feel like they made it a rom-com. You know, like when, oh, the klutzy girl bumps into the guy, like that. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm not in. Like, I'm not in that. Yeah. Um, Nora will attest that I text her about 10 minutes into the film just saying, I have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I've started watching it. What did I say? Like, I've started watching it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I said, save it, write it down, just write the notes down. <laughs> but it just seems like such a Hollywood, like, cutesy rom-com meet-cue. Like, it would have worked for them to meet in a lab. Like, I don't see why that wouldn't be a perfectly acceptable scene. Then from that, you're Paris, uh, 1893. I need to check some of these dates as well. Like, it's all over the place when okay. things are happening. So she's yelling at a board of academics and you have Professor Lippmann and she's talking about how she doesn't have enough space to do her work and gets kicked out of the labs. But she didn't happen, you know, <laughs> obviously. She doesn't get kicked out. One of her associate scientists just finds her bigger space. I feel like it's the idea they're trying to convey this like feminist rage and movement about having to fight against the man, which she obviously did, but like unnecessarily, like, her male colleagues were helping her out. It's not a bad thing to show that there aren't, aren't all men in the 1800s aren't sexist pigs. You didn't need to inject that in because there was enough of it in the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you didn't need to formulate yeah. and kind of build that out. You know, there's, there's a bit where she's not in the Nobel Prize because she's a woman. That sums it up <laughs> quite, quite <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> I think my... I've, what I was really struggling with with the film is how if I if if Mary Curie is one of my all-time idols, and the film paints her as an unpleasant person, mm -hmm. 
there's no real record in history to say that she was like a saint. Okay, yes, there are actions that she took that suggest that she was very kind of, you know, the whole thing about the war and her, her passion for science makes me think that she was, uh, you know, a positive person or ambitious or something or, you know, positive attributes, whereas the film painted her as very cold and unpleasant. And I was thinking, you know, what could she have been? Is that my, you know, I just want, never meet your idols kind of thing. You know, do I just paint her as this sort of, uh, you know, decent person and the film is painting her as this cold, like loveless person all about science. And maybe that was where my uncomfortableness was. But I actually think that, you know, there was that just a sprinkling of, oh, she has to be angry and fight for what she needs. I'm not actually appreciating that she was just really well respected in the university <laughs> and she could, she did everything on her own merit. Oh. Um, they, well, they're painting her to be Sheldon. She's Sheldon. She's just this, like awkward. Okay, woman. so I was wondering, are they making a point that she could have been on the autistic spectrum? I and are they making, so, which is really upsetting. Well, I, I was thinking like she was, she was extremely intelligent, extremely driven. In you know, in a time where that was not a thing, and you know, could that? But I also think if that was the point you were making, you could have made it, it more poignant and actually said something about, you know, uh, that rather than, because that, that's what I was thinking. Could she have, could they have been making a point by making her so uh, emotionally distant? You know, I don't know. I just, just kind of- I agree. Because for me, it was to the point where she was unlikable. I don't think that was a fair representation. You know, that, that's yeah. not equivalent with autistic or interested in science and maths and being a woman. Exactly, yeah. I, I think that's how they kind of interpreted it and I didn't like that. Because yeah. in the book I actually, even though it was a similar story, I found her, like her story really engaging. I thought that she looked like a really interesting person in the film, I just didn't like her. Like there was nothing redeeming, yeah. other mm -hmm. than the fact she's super clever. Like, yeah. was, she wasn't redeeming at all. Yeah, and, and that's from the off as well. It's not like, yeah. it never feels like they give her many layers, unfortunately. Yeah. It feels like from dot one, this is what we're giving you and, Rosamund Pike's great, I think, but like she can only do so much with she what can. she's given, you know. It doesn't really make sense because in the book they talk about how she has this young ro this romance with a guy at the beginning. So she and also in the book they use her diary writing. So you're reading how she writes slash would talk and engage with people, and she sounds really eloquent and intelligent and able to communicate her feelings in sort of a really in, you know. She also sounds passionate and you know caring for other people and none of that came across in the film i don't think it's confusing i think the interpretation yeah. that they had yeah then you see her living in this tiny flat and we meet her sister who i, I can understand having that character i suppose in the film because she needs a confidant that she can there's like a dialogue about what's happening happening even though they get her name wrong which is weird some, some of those scenes though made her more like like that was yeah. part of you know made her slightly more appealing to me and that her relationship with a sister yeah. a sister or not um they were probably some of the scenes i liked her the best in so for me i actually enjoyed that addition yeah. even though it's yeah. not factual no i don't i didn't mind that i thought that was fine and necessary oh, so then <laughs> 
you have this like series of flashes of her being rejected to work in all these labs which doesn't make sense and then she goes she runs into this bar and she sees the dancer who is Lilik Fuller, which we know about in the book which doesn't make sense in the timeline because this would not be when she would be dancing that dance and she runs into Pierre they have this super awkward exchange and he's like I'll help you I'll save you come work in my lab cringe <laughs> which it was awful and then you know he starts working in his lab and they discover the possibility of the undiscovered elements and he's like I'll help you you're doing it wrong I'll make it better <laughs> this is very like white knight to the rescue which again doesn't really track for me then he takes her to the Hotel de Paris, which is, there's this whole flashback to her being scared of going into hospital because her mother died when she was quite young. So she has this phobia of being, going to hospitals, which again, it's never mentioned in the book. I couldn't really find anything about that. I don't really is, get it. That was a massive thing that I had to go and check because I thought, wait, what? Yeah. Mary Curie? <laughs> oh. There is, I've, I've made some notes and there is a bunch of stuff where I thought, you know, is it that I'm a bit of a Mary Curie nerd that just jars with me? Am I too close to the source to, you know, if I was just an, a person who didn't know so much about her, would this make sense? But also, I just think, what, why, why add that bit of spice in? What, what does yeah. it achieve? And it doesn't seem true either. No, it doesn't seem true. I mean, if it was, oh my God, okay. But I couldn't find anything either. Yeah. So to just like plainly make something up is, seems very bizarre and a waste of film time. Then they have dinner with Paula Van, his wife, where she like shows off how smart she is. And also I think is setting up the relationship with Paula Van and to introduce his wife as a character. They walk around, he proposes them getting it on together. Then they have a wedding and they make a nod to her wearing a blue suit when they get married and they go on this bicycle honeymoon and they swim naked. <laughs> Which, <laughs> all right. You can't prove that didn't happen, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that. Bit. I think that yeah, was I like fine. And then they come back and they get a new laboratory and there's science flash, flashes of science things happening. <laughs> <laughs> Just science, science, science. Then it. Marie gets pregnant and then they present the discover of radium and polonium and lots of clapping, clap, 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 clap. And how everyone's excited. And Pierre gets his professorship and they go to a spiritualist event, which she's like, this is bullshit. But then you have the scenes of her sleeping, them sleeping in bed with radium, which was true. And Pierre wants to patent radium, but she doesn't in the film, which again, in the true story, she's in grief in agreement with him about the fact that they shouldn't patent this, that this is for science. You know, we want to continue people studying this material. Yeah. So again, doesn't really make sense. They, then there's a discussion of radium as cancer treatment, which I don't think was necessarily this early in history, but 
Then you get the first flash to the future where they flash to Cleveland in 1957, which, and you have one of the first radiation treatments to young child. And also you're flashing back to uh, them at a spiritual event and he's sort of talking about the lesion and what the effect of the radium on his, him is. I thought this was like a really weird, like just not well shot scene, the cancer treatment. Well, also I'm not a hundred percent sure it happened like that. This moment felt like a lot of the film where they were giving a really botched reason for something that they think maybe the audience wouldn't understand. Like, or maybe the audience wouldn't understand that it actually took five to 10 years to get to that point and lab rat testing, you know? <laughs> and so it just felt like, oh, he put it on his wrist and then some guy in Germany tested it on a melanoma tumor and it worked it reduced the tumor oh it didn't happen like that and i think i think the audience would have understood that timeline yeah and the way that they did it i just thought that's a cop-out you're just it's just a cop-out you just it's like oh i woke up in a dream i dreamed it it felt like that <laughs> it's just like a shortcut i didn't like that at all i've written that down put it on a tumor <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's just put this on as something disease and see what happens. The thing is, I'm not even saying, like, I haven't double checked my facts. I haven't gone back through the receipts, but I'm pretty sure it's not that simple. That's <laughs> pretty sure. I think, it makes, I think it makes more sense if you, if you don't even have, like, a tidbit of what Pierre or someone does to get to that point. You can just have them discover it, flash forward to where they end up with it and you have the same results without having to treat your audience like an idiot. You don't need to like do a, a little jump in the past to get to the future. But you can go, they discovered this thing in the future. This is one of its applications. And I think, I think as well, it takes away, I guess this is me on a soapbox, but it takes away from the actual hard work and science and the trial and error and the years and years and years of slog to just say like, <gasps> oh my God, I've got it. Or, oh my God, it happened. We discovered it. Uh, just, and I think even if they'd gone that route to say like, it took five years and a hard work every single day. And then they, they, they had a, hypo a hypothesis. They proved it. They had to run the experiments again. They proved it. They had to run the experiments again. And I was like, so that really annoyed me. And I think there was so much of that, like almost is the word exposition when mm -hmm. they, you tell the audience something. And I just think it took away from the, the actual story. It takes away the, the hard work and the, the, yeah, it really pissed me off. Yeah. And that was one thing, the tumor, the melanoma really, <laughs> I thought, oh, fuck this. God <laughs> like, oh, damn. Oh, so, much. so then her second child is born and they get, the Nobel Prize. Well, she doesn't. Okay. Conveniently skip her miscarriage. Oh yes, conveniently we skip that over, which is you know big point. You know they life. didn't have enough drama that they had to add bits in, but real life things that happened to her. Will just... <laughs> yeah, I mean that's another thing that I think the film. I mean, when we get to the end, there's so many bits where I think you've left important actual things out for filler junk. Why? Yeah. She has actual drama in her real life. You don't need to add more. Yeah, the story itself is more than enough for a film. And I mean, we'll get to the point with Einstein 
right? Yeah. But he wasn't in the film. That would have been a great scene. She attended I, conferences with him in person. Yeah. You could I have been with Einstein. I was waiting for him to be more apparent. I, yeah. I was waiting for him to be like a, a major character in the later half of her life because just shove him in. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a household name. And yet he didn't appear. He didn't, did he? Yeah. 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 Hmm? He was in the picture, like the actual real life picture of yeah. all at the end. He sat in the front row with her, but that's it. Like, yeah. that's the you get. So her second child is born and that's when they get nominated for the Nobel Prize. And Pierre makes them add Marie, which is another, you know, showing he's there to advocate for her. And Stockholm 1903, Pierre goes to accept the award. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Definitely didn't happen. No one went. <laughs> he d decided with her, because he was sick, to not accept the award. Why? Why did they a partnership. Him? And I don't understand why they're trying to portray them as this, like, bickering couple. Don't know. Especially because it's weird when you... When you compare to the book, the book really makes the point to show how much in love she was with him and yeah. how they like intertwined each other. Oh yeah, when they signed their names on top of each other when they wrote papers. Yeah, and then how- they, That's a lovely she, detail. She, she goes into it, when, isn't it part of her diary where she says something like, I can't ever imagine living without him. Like yeah. she's absolutely like a bit even, like a school teenager or something, like where she just can't get enough of him. And yeah, in the Bush movie, it's the opposite. Oprah reminds me, they make a point in the film about how Pierre said that to her, but she never said it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not, I don't like that type of portrayal as a couple. They were there for each other, 100% supported each other, you know, supported each other in their decisions. Whereas the film is trying to portray them as something else, which is, not I just I don't think it's helpful to people to see that as a relationship. Yeah. No. He accepts the award and coughs blood, which I don't know if that's accurate if that's what the side effects would be. And then it flashes to pilots dropping the A bomb to show what's happening in the future. Then there's a huge fight with Marine Pierre about the fact that he went and then he is out and he gets run over by horses which was like a really weird scene and how they killed him I thought and then you have Marie sobbing over his body then she gets proposed to take over Pierre's professorship and she is the first female professor at the Sorbonne. I did not like that scene I didn't like it I think because that that is one bit in the book where I thought the book delivered it beautifully. I had a little cry because it's so poignant where she turns around and she calls them idiots or something. She says, "How dare you? Um, how dare you congratulate me?" Or she says something like, yeah. "You're fools for congratulating yeah. me. My husband is dead." Yeah, and basically saying you would never have given this to me if he wasn't dead. Mm. It's only because he had to die for me to get that place. And the, and then the film just makes her seem like a angry just like oh yeah I deserve this no mention of anything ah oh, that scene particularly pissed me off <laughs> it all pissed me off <laughs> <laughs> but like that scene really oh I thought that was delivered so badly what do you guys think I agree I think that like there's a scene before where she's literally howling and I felt very uncomfortable with her over her dead husband 
And the next scene, no, like you say, no mention of him, really, despite it being his role she's filling. Um, and again, it, it was her, it was that kind of one-note angry layer to her, yeah. just given to us again. That was a scene where you could have done a whole bunch of different stuff in how she takes this, this news of being offered this opportunity. Um, and they just play it exactly the same as they have. And there's, there's a comment that one of those guys said when she leaves the room, he says, oh, that's, that's behavior. Oh, typical behavior or whatever. Yeah, that's typical behavior of her. I just think like, they, I don't know if, I don't want to believe that they would have thought that of her. <laughs> yeah, because it, it seems like from everything you read about it is that her colleagues really respected her. But they don't at all in this film, really. Besides the guy she's sleeping with. So then you go, you flash to Nevada in 1961 and you have this whole A-bomb testing, the doom towns. And which is, you know, interesting kind of throwaway scene to me. And then Marie and Paul start having an affair and the rumors start. And, you know, she's very careless is the portrayal in the film about it like letting her daughter see them in bed together which you know again like why are you trying to show her as a bad mother in the book they literally talk about the fact that during work day she would go home during lunch and to feed her daughters and then after work she would go home to cook dinner for her husband and her family and she seems very dedicated them to them and then she the letters get published in the papers and all the people are rioting outside of her home and paul leaves her and then she goes to the spiritualist center to cry who, do you guys know who the woman she was crying on is i thought that was the dancer yeah I okay. That well. okay that makes sense which well, is, i don't know it was i thought it, it would make sense but i also thought it was the psychic it wasn't like it. But then she was saying something to, oh, why isn't she in? And I think the woman says something like, oh, she's gone home or something. So I don't oh, know. The, 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 the psychic had passed away. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it was the dancer, yeah. Because the only reason I think Pierre went there was because the dancer had said to come to this spiritualism yeah. thing. Um, I, I was so surprised how much of the thing they made of the yeah. spiritualism. Like, it was quite interesting, the bits of it you got in the book, but it felt like a, a key plot being pulled through was this spiritualism. Well, it's also making, portraying him as being kind of an idiot for being interested in this stuff. Like, that he was, you know, taken away by all this, like, oh, hippie-hippie spiritualism. I actually, I actually interpret it as worse, where he was, like, fun-loving and wanted to see, oh, isn't this funny how they're using radium? Like, we should go and have a yeah. laugh. Oh, wouldn't it be fun, Marie? I mean, she's the dampener. The like, Debbie she's dampener. There's like, oh, I haven't got time for this. This is stupid. Why are we paying any attention to this? You know, so I didn't like that. I didn't like that they were using him as a contrast, that she is the, yeah, I don't know. She's the party pooper. Yeah. Shut up. So then I, so I actually quite liked the scene. I thought it was sort of clever how they shot it. You see the sort of ambulance slash firefighters passing her and it, then you segue into Chernobyl. Yes, I quite yeah. like this. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you see the firefighter going into Chernobyl and you see the, like the melting of the building. And I thought that was really well shot. I enjoyed that scene. Yeah. Same. 
we, we've yes. just watched the HBO show Chernobyl, and this was oh, a very so good intense. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Recommend that show, it's, but it's a lot. I think that's the scene that stayed with me. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I think they did that really, really well. Mm-hmm. That was probably the, the the best handled and most cinematic moment of the yeah. forward. Yeah. Like, all the others felt like weirdly small like even like dropping the bomb on Hiroshima felt like a very small scene and like didn't feel big enough for what they were showing and yeah I think I think you're exactly right and I actually think the doomsday towns the in Nevada mm-hmm. they focus too much on like the melting of those towns but I thought I interpret it in the book and in history that the fallout was actually what happened in Nevada like in the 50s, there was an, a massive increase in leukemias and different kinds of cancer that were related to that. And the government kept it like they didn't say anything, but like yeah. the ground was was toxic and the water was toxic. But yet the film didn't touch on that. They just touched on the the melting people. I don't know. Yeah. That was the most oh. visual, obvious choice. It's kind of, it's the lazy choice visually to do that is. But it didn't say anything about it. It just said, oh, we blew up stuff in Nevada. Cool. Yeah. Move on. But yeah, the Chernobyl part was uh, was was really good. I thought they did that well. So who shot that scene? Because it wasn't the same person who shot everything else. <laughs> she was then awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, and everyone's dissuading her to go because there's writing, and she's like, you know, fuck them. And she goes with her daughter, and then she's giving her speech, and there's this whole bit with the women standing up and clapping for her. Oh, cringe. Oh, I'm a sucker. I quite liked it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know it's a betrayal of, you know, what actually happened, but I felt a bit... It was like an incredibly obvious visual metaphor for the fact that lots of women campaigned for her to... Which is true. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it it would have been hard to visualise that in a very quick scene and just let you know, other than doing what they did. Yeah. Hmm. You're right, actually. I I think what made me cringe about it was um obviously i don't think that may have happened in real life uh mm-hmm. and it felt so american rom-com the slow clap yeah. oh thought. it could and have I, been a bridget jones movie like, at that point i acknowledge that that's why i enjoyed it because i'm like yeah okay this is my wheelhouse i'm just sure they could have done it better they could have done it the women meeting her outside afterwards or you know sending her letters afterwards or something else but again it's the idea that her male colleagues didn't respect her which keeps bothering me when they did the fact that albert einstein literally wrote her a letter saying to go and that the royal family were very supportive of her and they couldn't care less about it yeah which i don't know it's really dumb so then you start with world war one and then you have Irene bringing marie to the hospital and pleading the case of the soldiers to help them and she's like yeah no it's awful to be in a hospital again very bizarre characteristic but then they decide she decides she'll help her build mobile x-ray units then there's this whole bit with Irene presenting her fiance which i don't get why they had to do it this way because it seems like an unnecessary change because he was an assistant of Marie. So it would have been very like a nice parallel to have her daughter falling in love with an assistant in her lab, kind of like how her and her husband fell in love. We should have written this film. I'm sorry, I should have written this film. Because <laughs> like, that would have been perfect. 
Yeah. So her interrogating him and like about his work in science and him kind of sounding like an idiot for the most part in talking to her yeah. seemed bizarre. Like I just didn't get why you would write it that way. And they eventually go on to win a Nobel Prize for Artificial Radiation, which he talks about. That's what they're studying. Then the French government refuses to give her the funds to build the mobile x-ray units, and then she offers the Nobel Prizes to cover the cost of them. I don't know if that's true in how it worked. I don't remember that being that they denied them the money. But she went to the bank with the, in in reality yeah. she went to the bank to have them smelted. Is that yeah. what the film? They refused to. They refused to. They said it was they were France's Nobel prizes. Yeah. Which um, I think it wasn't awful in sort of conveying that. And then she goes to help the soldiers in the field because she's there. Which again, I don't think they would have sent her the to the front lines to outfit ambulances. I also thought that might have been a bit of artistic license, but I, w- I wanted to check it up. Because, you know, I've written down here in my notes, it's time to make this your war. Yeah. Which I think Irene says it to her yeah. when they're in the car, they're like driving along. And I was thinking that, was she on the battlefield? Was she actually there? I don't think she, it wouldn't make sense that she would be. It would make sense that maybe at the hospital she was outfitting them and then training people how to use them on the field, but for her to have to go? To the- I also I also thought, like, as terrible as that that is, why are they making the... F- it felt suddenly like a war film. Yeah. Not like a, a science... And also her health at that point would have been awful, so she wouldn't actually probably physically be able to go there. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And then after that, you, you're she's in the hospital, and you're passing through the doors of time, and she's seeing the effects of uh, <laughs> what she's done. And then she has this fantasizes about having a conversation with her husband, and that's the movie. Yeah. How did you like the ending, Sean? I can see some facial expressions happening. Just you don't have to have her meet everyone who's been impacted by her discovery and oh the bit <laughs> they did they did a bit where they set up this thing right at the start of the movie where her mother's in the hospital and she asks her for a kiss to cure her uh, and then at the end of the movie they have her kiss the firefighter who went in Chernobyl yeah um and i i why build these faux moments to bookend your movie with? Like, these fictitious moments. Like, make her likeable with her actual traits in the movie rather than giving her these weird made-up moments. Yeah, I find it very frustrating. Very frustrating. It's just... It's lies. Like, I feel bad for people watching this because it's sort of... This isn't what happened. You're not going to be informed about who she was. You're going to come away thinking that she was, you know, had a lot of issues and, you know, pissed everyone off she worked with. And you could, I don't think you would have a great opinion of her based off of this film, which is upsetting because I want people to respect and understand how intelligent she was. And if you're just watching this film on, on its own, you wouldn't have any of that. You would be like, oh, she was a ball buster. And it's ball buster, bad. yeah. It's just sort of, it's odd that you have, like, you know, it's written, not all women are supportive women, but you'd have a female direction based on a book written by a woman. 
you know, I don't know if the screenwriter would degrade yeah. her in that way, but it's bizarre that I, I don't know the people in the process, how you can see this and see this as a film that really holds her to, you know, a platform. It doesn't. I wonder if it was well-intentioned, like you can almost see how they were trying to nod things or allude to things that are meant to be empowering or like, you know, the women supporting her or like, I can see why they've inserted things, but when you put it together as a package, it doesn't come off in a particularly flattering way, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Like I can see, I, I don't feel like they set out to make a negative film about her, but it's just how it's all come together just hasn't worked. Because it's also, there's this storyline that's so disturbing in it about the idea that her male colleagues were always against her. Whereas, yes, she had to obviously fight the system, but just reading her letters and the people she worked and collaborated with they were really supportive of her and they recognized her level of intelligence. There's a, she, even, she even literally says it in the movie, <laughs> despite everything we've been shown, that she's been held back more by funding than yeah. she has by being a woman. And yeah. I was like, undermines her saying that because everything I've seen in the hour and a half before this has been about how the men hate you because you're a woman. Mm. Like, they don't accept you, yeah. It's funny because um, I I also think that my main one of my main points with my notes is that the script was I thought really bad. The writing was awful. Yeah, and I I did a quick check to see because I wanted to know how how was how was it received. And one of the things the Rotten Rotten Tomato I don't know Rotten Tomatoes yeah. yeah I don't know but one of the critics was saying how it's flawed script and counterproductive storytelling choices are offset by Rosamund Pike's central performance, which I think that's for me, no, she did, she, Rosamund Pike did her best with a bad egg, yeah. basically. Yeah. I thought, I thought the, the two central performances were, were good performances, mm. um, but I do think they were let down a lot by the, the material. Although it feels like the sort of movie where with some editing and losing maybe 20 minutes of it, you cut the right scenes, it becomes a different narrative, yeah. but there's so there's so much of it that, that undermines the who this character really is. That the end product just doesn't deliver it. She feels like a bit part player in history in her own story. Like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel like a Marjorie story. It feels very much like the story of um, the science rather than her. I, I would even go as well to say that. I really felt that at the end, it was about how she, how she helped the war. Mm. Not necessarily about her Nobel Prizes, not necessarily even about the future and where that, what, where that linked into what happened years on. It was, I felt like it didn't, even the ending kind of fell away. Um, but to be nice about it, the two positive things I have to say about it was that the science bits were cool. Yeah. I enjoyed those. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the outfits were great. Yeah, good. That's what I <laughs> Costume, I like the Chernobyl part. Yeah. And that was it. And it's like going to see a play and saying, the stage was really nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Costume's great. Um, yeah. Backhanded compliment. He's, uh, just, there's so, I wanted, I wanted this to be a great movie because she's Thanks. so important and she's quite literally changed history. And she continues to change history. And without her, you know, 
I have a father with cancer and he would not be alive without her research. And just, you don't feel the impact, I feel like, from seeing this film of what, of how our existence would be so different without her, for better or worse. Yeah. Well, I think that's the whole point. I, lo I love reading stuff like this because you, we can see the passage of time. We can see what's happened. And just you to, won't. You'll never know what, you know. Yeah, and, and just, just to get a, a sort of vibe of what the information vacuum that was at the time. Like, we can't imagine a world where something is being discovered like that. Uh, you know, it's just such, I don't know, sometimes I like to pretend that I'm in that time and just think, oh, to have that kind of discovery and exciting and all this sort of stuff would be so different to what, we, what we've got now. Mm. And it just didn't come across in the film. Yeah, really yeah. disappointed. And it, I feel like it takes a cursory glance at Wikipedia to know what actually happened. So for the, the writers and whoever was working on it, not to kind of follow some sort of factual structure. So I've just read the Wikipedia, yeah. very quickly skimmed through it about the World War. Uh, and her thing and it said that she was a director of the Red Cross I, I haven't gone too detailed into it you know impressive and not to like talk about that to the status yeah. that she rose and she directed the installation of 20 mobile radio vehicles mm -hmm. but it doesn't say anything about her being she trained women AIDS yeah it doesn't say anything about her being on the thing yeah I don't, I, I don't think that that wouldn't make sense uh, and, and that's the thing I think it's even I would like to think you know, I don't know anyone who's only just watched the film that a lot of it just, and obviously the reviewers probably noticed it. It doesn't make sense to her as a character what's going on in some of these scenes. They seem so misplaced. Ellie, do you have any other points about it? No, I mean, I kind of just agree that I really wanted to like, I remember seeing the trailer and being like, oh, that looks really cool. And I remember even when we were talking about what books to do for book club. Yeah. You said really large, and I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And everyone else was like, meh. But... <laughs> It's well now I'm like Rick because I've seen it and <laughs> it didn't pay off. Like it, yeah, this disappointing. I really wanted to like it, so it's, I don't think it's that we didn't give it a chance. Yeah, same. Something went wrong, obviously, mm -hmm. in the process of making it because you have a team of people that, in theory, are experienced and good at what they do. Yeah, I just Did found myself a bit bored, to be honest. Like I didn't, I wasn't riveted, but and it's a riveting story, but. Do you think someone made the call that we need to make it more palatable to people who don't know anything about her? So they tried to go down a palatable route, you know, having the slow clap. Not to say that that's a bad part of it. <laughs> what I, mean, I actually think it was more jarring the bumping into each other at the, front, at the start. I think that, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that I thought. Are they just trying to make it almost formulaic in a, in a way that people recognize from every other film. Yeah, the, but the problem with that story though is like, you need her to be likable to, yeah. for that to work. You need like, someone to root for, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think I would have been, the moment when they all clapped for her was, I think, I do agree, it's cringy, but like, I can see why they've done it. Yeah. If she'd been more likable to that point, I think I'd have enjoyed that scene more because I would have been like rooting for her to get like a, yeah. a big moment of recognition. But, the way she presented just made that feel even more disconnected for me. I was very frustrated with it because a lot of people, this might be their only, only gateway to her as a person, and this is what they're getting. And a lot of people won't seek anything else out. They'll take this movie as verbatim, and that will be what they know of Marie Curie. 
If I wasn't doing it for book club, I would have gone to the cinema, watched it, thought, oh, it wasn't that good, and never thought of it again. Like, yeah, which like, is the last thing you want. Yeah. You just gave me the idea that it would have been so much more interesting as like a plot twist if, you know, she was high rising in the scientific community, you know, everyone loves her, she's super smart, and then suddenly this bit with the affair and they all turn on her and she's like, what is happening and how awful that is and how she has to kind of like push past that to go mm -hmm. accept her Nobel Prize. And if that was the build up to that point where she had, you know, the public turn against her all of a sudden, that could have been a little more interesting and just make more sense in how her character works. Yeah. I mean, hell, give, give, give me the full Rom-Com version where, she, where she's likeable, it's about her and Pierre's relationship, and then an hour and a half in, he gets killed by being crushed by horses is all of a sudden the most heartbreaking moment of all time for me. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Give me that. Don't give me a bit of rom-com, some science, a bit of made-up history, mm -hmm. some bullshit about how everyone hates her. Like, don't give me all this stuff. Give me the vision. You're so right, you're so right. Oh, yeah. And I would I, have actually lived for more rom-com. <laughs> if that is, I agree now. I'm taking it back. If they just leaned right in. Yeah, exactly. I would have been right with that, actually. rom-com in, like, a laboratory and the two of them falling in love with each other while they're, like, mixing <laughs> chemicals. Yeah, they, like, touch each other's hands. Or, like, ghosts. <laughs> like, he turns, he, like, feels the, the, the conical flask. <laughs> <laughs> Because that, because that movie, the actual nice rom-com with a sad ending of horse death, yeah. um, more people, I think, would come out of that and be like, oh, I'm going to Google her. Yeah, I think find out more. Movie, yeah, exactly. The movie we've got, nobody's Googling it, apart from us, because we're angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I refuse to believe she was unpleasant, so I've had to go down rabbit holes to, <laughs> to make sure she isn't. And I'm gonna, I feel bad trash-talking this guy who seemingly seems like a very nice person, though seem kind of vanilla. Like, Jack Thorne is a screenwriter, and everything I've seen, like, he's just not a writer with a vision, and that's what this needed. It needed some sort of artistic vision. And he's very much, like, a pay-for-hire in just writing something standard that works in this formula for certain studios and whatnot. And it just, it's boring, and not inspired and she was an inspired passionate person and i need someone to write that story i'm curious now did he, how close did lauren redness get to helping the movie so we've discussed this before like you know there's either a very collaborative process or there's a process where they have no relationship with it and most of the time in my like experience behind the scenes there's not a lot of collaboration as I, don't, I didn't I haven't actually researched into that so I'm not sure she's amazing she is talented yeah. maybe it would have been interesting if she tried to write the screenplay I don't know I think the, it would have been yes the, it feels like and and he did a perfectly, perfectly fine job. Very mediocre. It feels like Jack Thorne didn't read her book before he wrote the screenplay. I feel like he didn't read the Wikipedia page. Yeah. It does. It, there, it does not feel like there's a relationship between the book and the film at all. 
I don't know if this is great for the podcast, but on the Wikipedia page, there's a part about controversy. Yeah. And it says, although the film was actually based on uh, Lauren Redness's book, it's marketed as a biopic about Mary Curie. Um, and some person at the Cornell University severely criticised the film for not just alter altering many historical events for dramatic effect, but misrepresenting her character and that of her husband, e.g. by saying that she stayed at home rather than attending the 1905 Nobel Prize, where he belatedly delivered the lecture. Um, yeah, basically some scholar has also pulled it down. Who wouldn't? If you knew the facts, why wouldn't? Yeah, it just, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It kind of, it sort of sucks in the movie. It doesn't do anything it's supposed to. Yeah. Make, makes you less interested, if anything, in Marie Curie's. <laughs> I remember seeing the trailer for it, probably a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. and like the trailer was like genuinely quite interesting, and I was excited to see the movie and i'm very it's a different movie there's a different cut of it somewhere <laughs> a better cut that would be nice yeah it's like sort of like a lifetime movie version of marie curie <laughs> yeah yeah and it's you know it's a little bit cheap though you know i understand if they didn't have a big budget for it but you know a lot of it didn't seem like they spent a lot of money or time on the scenes that's okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Any other opinions? Oh, I also thought the mu music was creepy. Um, oh, so that was actually something... Oh, I forgot to look it up. That I actually really liked because the instrument they were playing was a theremin. Yeah. Which was what the soundtrack was using as a tool, which was invented by a scientist, Leonon Theremin, and it's very common in, like, sci-fi and movies and it's sort of a big nerdy thing the theremin and it's just it's kind of an instrument that uses um vibrations and you just like wave your hands over it and it like makes sounds it's really cool to watch in person what do you mean yeah i would look it up it's actually i've seen one live being performed and it's quite cool and i thought of anything that was kind of a nice ode to nerdy science stuff having the theremin as the soundtrack of it so to, you know, we usually round things off with saying something good and bad are Rose and Thorn of the book and the film. Lara, if you would like to go. Um, uh, I think a lot more thorns. Oh, the book is the rose. The yeah. film is the rose. <laughs> <laughs> the book was emotional and uh, beautiful and fabulous and the film was the film looked like it could have been looked good visually that's the, that was my juxtapose from the, the book and the film that the book look put me off but actually once i started reading got me in and then the film the look of it got me in but actually i was put off by the end uh my i'm gonna back the wrong one my Rose of the film is the clap, the slow clap. <laughs> um, but my thorn is the meet you at the beginning. So, you know, take it that we will. Um, for the book itself, honestly, just the fact it glows in the dark is really fucking cool. Um, but I didn't love the font. I found that was kind of a bit of a barrier to entry for me. Mm -hmm. Which I know has nothing to do with the content, but I like the content, so I don't really have anything strong to say either way. John? Mm, okay. Uh, <laughs> 
there's a, it's a bit of the book which is a bit unrelated, but I, I really like. There's a two-page splash where they just go, here's a bunch of really important famous people from Poland, mm. which well, I was really great. Yeah. I think that was really cool. That was really nice, yeah. Um, and like, it didn't take away from the story. I think it just added like a lot of context. For... Especially because she was so keen to make sure Poland was represented. Yeah. And like, that's why she called it Polonium and stuff like yeah. that. Like, that was a really nice way of conveying that. Um, which they never told you in the film, by the way. There is, there's a scene in the movie where she goes to ask them for funding for the ambulances and the x-ray equipment. Um, it's like the, the, the one scene where she comes across as, as passionate about lots of things and she feels like a great mother in that scene um, and she feels determined to do good regardless. And that's the only scene where I feel like they give her that kind of humanity. Um, and the reveal of it is cheap when she gets out the Nobel Prizes to say, I'm going to sell these off to help cover it. But I liked that that little scene work, worked for me. Yeah, I think my roses, I love this little bit of the firefighter going from, mm. through time into Chernobyl. I thought that was my favorite scene and sort of just bit of filmmaking in the film. My thorn of the film is most of it, but specifically the whole bit with her husband going off to accept the Nobel Prize on his own really infuriated me. <laughs> and then with the book, you know, I just, in, you know, in general, enjoy the storytelling about them and kind of she, Lord Redness really let them speak for themselves in the fact that a lot of it was, was actually their letters and their writings about and diary entries, which you know, really made me respect them even more by reading their actual words. And then the thorn was, you know, yeah, I thought the illustrations weren't amazing and she maybe went a little too heavy handed on some of the layout, maybe got too artistic and made it a little harder to really read it. I don't regret, you know, reading the book and the film made me think more about her in, you know, anger for her misrepresentation and also kind of look up more about her because I wanted to make sure I knew the actual facts because they weren't going to tell me. <laughs> you know, I can now speak about Marie Curie better than anyone who worked on the film. So <laughs> we have to go out there and be like, no, you've seen the film. Don't go into the film. <laughs> give me give me half an hour to change your mind. <laughs> Thank you guys, you know, for Thank putting you. yourself through that and you know it's you know, a pretty hefty book, so it's not nothing. I need to get that off my chest. I'm yeah. so <laughs> also feel the same way about it as well, because it was a difficult one. I didn't love it because I think you would have come for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sean is definitely known for taking the opposition stance. Uh, in some on occasion, time. on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> well, Laura, you're always welcome to join us for some of the upcoming ones if you're interested. Oh, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Absolutely yeah. love to. Really nice to have you, as well as like as someone who's a comics creator to have the perspective as an artist. You know, on occasion we are starting to do some more comics as they're becoming very popular in adaptations. So to analyze the art I think is important. Yes, please. I think for me, reading novels, I'm a slow reader. That's my barrier of entry with a lot of the books that you guys do, because I'm just slow. Some of our contingent don't read the book, if that helps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. Perfect. Tom is sort of a representation of, if you only viewed the film, is it any good on its own? 
which is That's a fair perspective. Yeah, and that would have been interesting for this movie, especially. Mm-hmm. Actually. <laughs> we should see if we can find anyone who's just watched the movie and see what <laughs> they think. And tell them about themselves. Yeah. Well, we can actually, Sean, we should try and get Tom to <laughs> watch it and see what he thinks. Yeah. I, I can't imagine he'd like it, but um, yeah. sometimes he does surprise us. He does, yeah. So the next one is Days of Bengal Summer. Invisible Man oh, is next. Like Invisible the Man, sorry. <laughs> Too many. But yes, I should start that, I think. Yeah, so. Okay, well, thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've loved it. I've heard your voices before. (laughs) (laughs) Me in person. Um, See you on Monday, Nora. Yeah. See you next Monday. (laughs) Bye, guys.